is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture and Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome in on this Tuesday, February the 13th, 2024. It is the BearCast on Sikkim365.com and the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim365 YouTube page, which you, if you haven't already, please hit the like button and please hit that subscribe button. We would certainly appreciate you if you did that for us, but welcome in regardless. I'm Craig Smoke, joined as always by Grayson Grunhafer, and we've got Garrett Ross behind the scenes. And We've got a little over an hour plus to talk a lot of things. Baylor athletics from football to basketball, where we currently stand in the Big 12 race. And we'll get to your questions and your mailbag at the end of the show. But uh, Grayson, Super Bowl is come and gone. The NFL season is over. We saw um, now where the offseason has really football-wise begun uh, all over every level at this point. But uh, how did you feel like the NFL wrapped up? Were you... Happy with the Chiefs win on Sunday? No, I was a little eh, bummed I didn't about think it. You probably were. Yeah, yeah a lot of my uh, my wife's family they're Forty ers fans, and you know, seen the Chiefs a lot. I have a really good friend that's a Chiefs fan, so I mean, I understood you know why he was excited. I cheered for them a couple times in these other Super Bowls, but this time I felt like, all right, we're gonna cheer for you know my wife's family and their team. My team's the Colts, so they they weren't in it. So. Um, I went ahead and cheered for them. I really like McCaffrey, so I was happy to see him have a really good performance. But, uh, you know, in general, they just couldn't overcome the Mahomes stuff. There was also some really questionable stuff going on there with the overtime rules and everything like that. So, you know, it was a fun game. Uh, a little sad about the result, though. Yeah, I mean, it was a fantastic finish, and uh, Patrick Mahomes is just a, a dude that uh, we haven't quite yeah. seen anybody like him before. And, um May not ever see anybody like him again. Uh, time will tell on that, but, man, he is special, and the Chiefs dynasty is rolling on along. So that brought the NFL season to a close, and that's notable because the offseason now truly kicks off for uh, each level. You'll have spring football. There will probably be some Baylor guys involved in the UFL, which is now the mutant ally, you know, I guess spring leagues come together. You had the uh, USFL and XFL merge this offseason uh, so that will be one league now between those two, and, and there will be some Baylor flavor in there. But for all intents and purposes, it's the off-season, and so we've got some off-season things to talk about, and that includes a note right here at the very top. Uh, as the combine list came out today uh, for the NFL draft and the activities that will be going on in Indianapolis later on this month, and uh, one Baylor player was invited, so I just wanted to touch on that briefly before we dive full on into signing day last week and then some basketball, but I uh, did see this come down just a little while ago in the last 30 minutes that Gabe Hall was selected to participate in the 2024 NFL Combine out in Indianapolis. He is the lone Baylor rep, and you wondered, would they get anybody? Because it's just not a very, I guess, uh, I guess impressive class uh, that was available to be drafted this year. Gabe Hall, uh, one of those guys, obviously. Um, but beyond that, you had a lot of the guys who would be eligible come back. And so you have uh, limited options. And yeah, there will be one guy in Indianapolis, and that will be Gabe Hall. So he will try to keep a little draft streak alive and, and try to give them some representation. But he performed well. 
um, during the All-Star week and heard some good things there. But, uh, yeah, that's going to be your lone rep that we kind of circle and, and follow through this journey to hopefully land in the NFL somewhere. Right, and I remember during uh, fall camp and spring football, actually it was more just fall, I think, when NFL scouts are out there looking at players and they all gravitated towards the defensive line, specifically probably to Gabe Hall. And then, you know, Gabe showed out really well at the Reese's Senior Bowl, especially in the lead-up uh, through practices, got a ton of praise from various scouts, uh, media that were at the event. So really happy for him. Um, you know, we got to see flashes at times, but never all came together. Um, there is a chance that he's a better pro, honestly, than he than he was a college player. So I'm excited for him. I, I do think he will get drafted, but he's going to have to you know continue to perform well and be consistent with interviews and his testing and all the drills because you know really to be a later round pick, it's all about the other stuff, the intangibles. And so we'll see if he can uh, get to that point. But I'm happy for him. That's a great honor. Yeah, it really is. And uh, I'm sure something that he's dreamed about, like a lot of guys dream about, just the various things along the process of getting drafted and to participate in all-star games and then to be in the combine. The only thing after that is to go actually get drafted and they'll have you know, the pro day set up and all those different types of things along the way as well. But uh, yeah, last year you just had Siaki Ika drafted. That was the lone guy. And so this year... Gabe Hall will be your your best and really only opportunity to see that happen. But wanted to mention that right there at the top. So you've got one bear who's on his way out and some good news there. But uh, last week you were solo as we had our crew split up uh, in Las Vegas for the Super Bowl coverage. And uh, you touched on or talked about or touched on uh, the possibilities that were out there for Baylor. And then Wednesday rolled around and they added a couple of new names to their 2024 recruiting class. So let's dive right in there, and they were a couple of guys that we talked about at length over the last few uh, weeks and and months to a certain extent, but um, Alex Foster, I mean, the big-time defensive lineman who we know had interest from a lot of different schools, including uh, Texas there, was pretty hot and heavy towards the end of the regular season. It felt like, uh uh-oh, they could be making their move after sort of just keeping in contact and, and continuing to recruit him, but he was committed to Baylor throughout scheduled the visit you're like oh here we go um but then it kind of died down after that and I know that you talked to him quite a bit and you maintained that you thought he was going to sign with Baylor when all was said and done and well he finally did he is officially in the class Alex Foster defensive lineman out of Mississippi inks with the Bears and so a big question mark is answered and it was good news for Dave Aranda and company yeah, there was tons of speculation kind of leading up to that first signing day with Texas, you know, potentially being able to flip him. And then obviously when he didn't sign with Baylor, a lot of people were nervous about that. A lot of crystal balls changed, started putting in predictions for Alex Foster to flip to Texas. And uh, simply that didn't happen. And, and honestly, you know, throughout the time period that I talked to him, uh, this was just a circumstance where a recruit was very honest um, with me and kind of where he was at. And, you know, he never really, I, I know you can say he wavered because he did take take visits. I understand all that. And he definitely had interest in Texas. But I think in general, um, after that visit, he kind of knew that Baylor was the place for him. And, and I think that was very important to him throughout the last you know month and a half of his recruiting process um, that he felt that way and saw that. And so, you know, this is a huge one. 
I mean, he was the priority going into this signing period. You you didn't really know that these other things were going to happen with, you know, Josh Lair getting out of his NLI with um, Washington or Ashton Bethel Roman getting out of his NLI with Arkansas. You didn't you didn't know those things were, were going to unfold the way that they did. But what you did know is that getting Alex Foster to sign that second signing day period was an absolute priority for Dave Rand and the staff, and that's exactly what they did. And he's a very good prospect. He's my top prospect prospect in the class ratings wise um a true four-star guy i mean he's got four-star rankings uh as far as composite goes on three updated their rankings and made him a top 152 prospect in the entire nation um He's been disrespected in a couple different ranking sites, but I do think the mixture of on three and two four seven probably got it right with him being, you know, right around that low four star territory, six five two seventy five, uh, with really good production. This was the priority, and Baylor and the staff got it done. So Alex Foster makes it official and signs with Baylor after uh, some thoughts that you know somebody else could come in and, and poach him potentially. Texas being the the, the main one, the, the key one that we talked about, but. Obviously, the staff with a, a nice win to hang on to him, and that was not all last Wednesday as Josh Lair, young man who found himself in the midst of coaching changes and, and all that comes with that, had uh, signed with, what, uh, Washington originally, and then, of course, they lose head coach Kalen DeBoer to Alabama, and Jed Fish rolls in from Arizona, but everybody on the Washington roster, much like Arizona, uh, now gets a free month to get re-recruited, basically, and uh, that left him uh, to, I guess, check all of his options once again, and here comes Baylor entering the fray uh, to try and flip him, and sure enough, they get the job done. The Missouri City, Texas safety from Fort Bend Marshall High School uh, inks with the Bears and had an impressive offer list. Uh, Washington, obviously, they were a college football playoff team, Texas, uh, was a college football playoff team, and those were a couple of teams that were involved with him amongst many others, um, Michigan, Oklahoma, LSU, a bunch of teams that offered him, and he is headed to Waco. So, uh, man, just kind of lay out the story for us here uh, for how this all went down and how they found themselves getting a double dip last Wednesday and what was otherwise going to be kind of a quiet day we expected, but between Foster signing and then Lair flipping, I'd say a pretty – great day for this Baylor coaching staff that hasn't had a lot of big celebrations, but this certainly seemed like one. Right, and I mean, this story, you know, kind of started immediately when he got out of his national letter of intent. Like you mentioned, Kalen DeBoer going to Alabama, so he got out of that letter of intent, reopened his recruitment, and Baylor just started recruiting him as hard as they could. I mean, they did everything they could to land him. They got him on campus uh, for a couple days, Friday and Saturday, uh, the weekend before signing day. And I think that that visit really just paid huge dividends. I, I felt really good about where Baylor was at going into that visit. And then, of course, once the visit happened, felt great about where you know Baylor was at with him. And I think this is a situation where you know Baylor was in his top three initially when he chose Washington in September. And so as the story unfolded, he reopens his recruitment. He already had great relationships with the Baylor staff, specifically Matthew Pallage. And when you have those relationships already built in, when you have that familiarity with a staff, and you're kind of just looking for a place that, you know, it, it's not technically the place you wanted to go initially, 
but it is a place that still feels like home. I, I think them getting him back on campus really showed that, really gave him, you know, trust in, in his next decision. And so for that reason, I think that's why he chose Baylor. Now, you mentioned um, the offer list. It's incredible. I mean, it's probably the best offer list in the class. Um, it, it's really, really good. You know, you mentioned a few Michigan, Miami, LSU, Texas, uh, Oklahoma, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Texas A&M. Tons of really good offers. He's a very good prospect. Uh, 6'1", 185 pounds. I think he's going to slate in pretty well at the star position for Baylor. Uh, He could play boundary safety as well. Um, But I think you're looking for a true difference maker at star that they haven't had since Jalen Petrie, and they're hoping to get that with Kendrick Simpkins this upcoming year. But to have a guy like this to be your prospect of the future there is massive, and I, I think that's what Josh Lair is. He's a very good prospect. For me, a four-star prospect. Nationally, he's right on that fringe of being high three-star, low four-star. So that's the kind of you know blue-chip type prospect they're getting. Yeah, so if you were one that uh, goes gaga over offer list, uh, certainly go when you're feeling down about maybe the class because I know there was a lot of hand-wringing after the first signing day of just sort of where they ranked and all of that, and there still is even after last Wednesday. But go look at Josh Lair's offer list. that will make you feel better at least for a minute or two uh, because it is mightily impressive. And so, yeah, for all the schools that had an opportunity to go and attend to uh, pick Baylor, that's a big win for Dave Aranda and staff. And so Josh Lair and Alex Foster, two uh, very nice pickups for this uh, program on second signing day. And uh, now the book on 2024 is, uh, for all intents and purposes, closed uh, after a very long road. Uh, Now it is on to 2025, 26, 27, and so on. It never stops. I'll blink and, you know, look up and find myself talking here. And it's five years fast forward. And we're talking about 2032 and, uh, and all that. That's just how it kind of all flies by. So 2024, uh, we can put the, uh, the period on the end of this story, but it's an exclamation point really for Baylor because of how Wednesday ended. So there you go. And all said and done, 14 guys, Grayson. I mean, just how do you feel about the class? I know it's not going to be, again, very highly ranked. We knew going in this was a smaller class, but uh, any holes, any, uh, oh, man, wish they could have done that differently. Any any thoughts, I guess, in general on how it all came to be and how it all came to a close? Yeah, so, I mean, I think adding Josh Laren, of course, holding on to Alex Foster gives you more of the, the high-end talent in the class. And so, you know, when you look at it that way, I think that's really important to have, you know, a, a top group that you feel really good about as far as being priority prospects. Then you kind of fill out the rest of the class with guys that you believe in, whether it's culturally or talent upside or or various things like that, you're going to have your reasons. Baylor's not going to sign a class that's just full of sure things. That's just not going to happen. You got to take some chances, take some risks, and fill out your class with guys you truly believe in. And, you know, as far as the the recruiting class goes, I think the one, there's a couple areas, but wide receiver, um, they tried to get back in on Ashton Bethel-Roman on National Signing Day. He chose Texas A&M. If they would have added him in this class, that would have been a totally different story. Uh, but at wide receiver, all you have right now is Jaden Porter. Um, and if you look at their depth chart and their class breakdown, they have some holes at the wide receiver position, particularly after this year. I know you can go to the transfer portal and address many of these problems, but when you look at it and you see that as far as redshirt sophomores are younger, they only have three of them on the roster, 
that's just a little weird uh, for development and for trying to get a group of guys to to get better and better as you know they're younger, trying to become you know the kind of prospects you want on your roster. It's just weird to have that few young guys at a position where you need a lot of wide receivers. Like you need depth at, in this kind of air raid offense. So I know they have that for the older guys, but I just think for the younger guys, there's a hole there where I probably would have taken another wide receiver, but clearly they didn't have one they loved. That means you're going to take one in the transfer port, maybe one more in the transfer portal. Definitely means the 2025 class is going to be loaded at the wide receiver position. Uh, outside of that, though, you know, I think this class addressed all the needs they really had. You know, you went out, you found an older linebacker as well as a really good high school linebacker. That was really important to me. They have to address that position. It, it has not been good enough, like at all. Their linebacker play has not been good enough, and we've seen all these guys who are younger. They've gotten opportunities to play, and it just hasn't come full circle. So adding Kylan Reed and then a guy like Keaton Thomas, who you believe could play early um, and who I believe will be their starting linebacker next year, was vitally important. Went out, found an older nose tackle as well, and Tonga Lolohia gives you depth at nose tackle, which obviously they needed last year. That was a huge problem. Um, other than that, you know, you found a couple offensive linemen. Um, you know, you just had a massive offensive line class, so you didn't need a ton of bodies there. Um, so I felt like they addressed that pretty good, too. Found a quarterback. We can debate on, you know, what level of quarterback, you know, Nate Bennett is, but you found one. That you like, Jake Spavital went in, reaffirmed that as well. Um, and now you're kind of seeing there with a, a quarterback room that you feel good about, and you have a 2025 commit who's a four-star prospect. So again, things are trending up there. And in the secondary, they address that as well. So majority of the needs they addressed, um, I do think that I would have liked to have seen a few more higher-end additions, but I think we're probably going to see that more so in the 2025 class just because, you know, a little bit of a late start, changes in NIL, changes in recruiting approach. It takes some time for that to really sink in, but I think we'll see the full effects of that in the 2025 class, and I think we saw it with landing Josh Lair, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, that was a really nice pickup for them, and so uh, 2024 uh, not maybe everything that you wanted, like you said, and laid out there, but uh, got a pretty good chunk of what you needed. And so we'll be interesting to see what they do now with their uh, remaining portal opportunities and uh, the remaining scholarships that they want to divvy up to use to fill in holes elsewhere. And uh, they won't get all that done before spring ball. They'll probably, possibly, you know, pick up somebody. But uh, I think we'll see a lot of post-spring ball activity with that starting up here in about a month from now. So they'll have a better idea afterwards. But everybody else will, too. That's the thing is if they need a receiver, there will be 50 other teams in the country that are also looking for a receiver. So um, got to get back in the fight as far as recruiting goes. But 2024 um, is done uh, for all intents and purposes outside of just the uh, – the scattering of transfers that could still join for next season. But um, they've uh, been busy between staff changes, the end of the season, and, and this road to get here. And uh, I'm sure it's nice to take a little bit of a deep breath, but you can't take too much of a break because it's never-ending. So uh, that was last Wednesday. Uh, welcome to Alex Foster and Josh Lair, and look forward to learning more about them as they get their journeys started. But a nice, splashy way to uh, end all of that cycle. Uh, meanwhile, so you had... Gabe Hall getting invited to the Combine. You had uh, National Signing Day number two. Uh, also had some talk for next year as far as win totals go. And uh, the Big 12, uh, along with other leagues, seeing their win totals thrown out there by FanDuel on Monday. Um, and here you get a look at how 
the Big 12 looks according to FanDuel and their college football win totals. Now, granted, they're trying to get you to bet here, so it's not like they're predicting this is exactly how it's going to go, but you see where teams kind of fall in, in the lines here. And so uh, remember that you've got four teams coming over from the Pac-12 to join the conference. Meanwhile, Texas and Oklahoma are on their way out, and that's going to take some getting used to, just all of what I uh, briefly mentioned there. Um, but we've been talking about you know just this new league and what it's going to look like, and here's our first glimpse of what Vegas thinks it's going to look like. Uh, nine and a half wins for Kansas State and Utah, the top margin for any Big 12 teams. And um, that makes sense, and I guess just let me know when you want to stop on any level here. But I'm certainly not going to argue with either one of these. I, I can see where you're coming from here. Uh, K-State with an exciting young quarterback and just a, a very stout program at the moment. And Utah, very much the same. Uh, Cam Rising coming back. And uh, with Brent Keithy's coming back, I believe, as well. And so that's two guys who you did not have at their full capacity by any means this past season that you'll get back and, and amongst the rest of your returners, but uh, just a really great coach and program. And so K-State and Utah, nine and a half wins according to Vegas. Yeah, good culture programs right there with two coaches you really believe in. I am curious how Kansas State does with no Will Howard. I know Avery Johnson was who they were setting everything up for this year. I understand that. But let's not act like Will Howard wasn't a big part of the reason they had success last year. I mean, he was a good quarterback for them, and he gave them depth at the position. If Avery Johnson gets hurt, which he very well might, I mean, if he's going to carry the ball, you know, 15, 20 times a game, I mean, he very well could get hurt for some stretches. So um, I'm very curious to see how that plays out. Nine and a half wins is a lot of wins because you're basically saying you got to win 10, you know, to, to win that bet. Um, I feel a little bit better about Utah as long as Cam Rising is healthy, but I understand why those two are the favorites, and they'd be my favorites as well at, the, at this very moment. Yeah, so you've got those two there. Um, then the next level, eight and a half wins, Arizona, which is uh, – I'd go under on them right now yep. with Jed Fish leaving. Uh, I know you've got – McMillan coming back at wide receiver. You've got your very talented quarterback and Noah Fafita coming back as well. But uh, eight and a half wins for Arizona seems like biting off a pretty good chunk for a team that's got a lot of questions right now. But the other three, Kansas, I think that's very safe to have them at eight and a half wins. Texas Tech, um, last year, definitely a disappointment. But I think that they're taking a different approach now, whereas last offseason it was a lot of talk after winning eight games and winning the bowl game, and you felt a lot of the hype during the offseason. I think that based on the fact that even though they finished strong, they didn't quite live up to that. They're going to take a more cautious kind of, I guess, less boisterous approach maybe if that if it was the right word I think you know where I'm coming from here there's going to be a little bit more tempered on the expectations outwardly although inwardly still very much high expectations quarterback coming back you finally got that figured out with Tyler Shuck just out of the way you don't have to worry anymore about is he healthy is he not healthy and they've been recruiting well so Texas Tech also a part of that in a year where I think eight and a half is what you'd be expecting they've won was it seven this past year, or was it eight? Well, set regular season, because this is only regular season win totals. They won seven. Okay, it's seven. Yeah. Um, so and seven the year before. You'd expect them to improve off that here at this point in year number three and a, and a bunch of experience under their belt. Um, but you've got Texas Tech there, and then UCF. So Vegas expecting a pretty significant bounce uh, back for Gus Malzahn and company, and they've got K.J. Jefferson coming in to play quarterback from Arkansas, another team that no longer 
you would think has to worry about, is our starting quarterback healthy? Is he not? Because they played that game a lot with John Rice Plumley. So now you've got a much bigger, sturdier QB and K.J. Jefferson coming over from Arkansas. Um, but those are the four there at eight and a half wins. Uh, I'll say right at the top, I think Arizona, like if they win eight and a half games, then geez Louise, like, I mean, that'd be incredible uh, given all the changeover. Kansas, I'd absolutely have in that tier. Texas Tech, I think that's the, the right spot to make it interesting to bet on them. And then uh, UCF, uh, that seems like a pretty large jump. I don't know about eight and a half wins in the regular season for them. I also, though, do not have all the schedules memorized. So maybe I look at the schedules and I feel a little bit differently, but still that one to me is a pretty large number for them in year number two. So any thoughts on uh, that particular tier right there? Yeah, this is the tier to vote or to bet on the unders for. Absolutely the tier to bet the unders for. I understand the Kansas one. I mean, that that is a bet on Jalen Daniels being healthy, though, all year because there is no Jason Bean to fall back on. Um, but looking at their schedule, they seem like the best bet to actually go 9-3 and three and cover this bet. Arizona losing your head coach, and, and we're just going to say they're going to do exactly what they did last year because they went 9-3 and three a year ago and then won their bowl game to get to 10-3. and three. That's, a, that's a stretch to me. Texas Tech... Going up to nine wins. Again, in order to win this bet, you got to go nine and three. I don't think Tech's going nine and three. So I'd be banging the under on that. And UCF is absolutely not winning nine games next year. I don't know who made that. I don't know who made that number for them or why they felt so confident in that, but I don't see that at all. And I looked at UCF's schedule. So here, here you go on UCF. So New Hampshire and Sam Houston, fine. At TCU, Colorado, at Florida, Cincy, at Iowa State. BYU, Arizona, at Arizona State, at West Virginia, Utah. And they're supposed to go 9-3 and three with that schedule? I mean, again, road games. At TCU, at Florida, at Iowa State, at West Virginia. I just don't see it at all with them. This is the group that I'm betting the under on for sure if I'm betting at this point. I, I, think, they're, I, think, they be, I think all three of those teams belong in the tier right below them. Well, that's here right below seven and a half wins, uh, and this is why I mean they make it interesting because uh, yeah the the UCF one I just don't see a lot of people betting the over there, but I can definitely see Kansas. I cannot see Arizona right now, and Texas Tech. I can see some people being confident. I mean, you're just, it's, it's only betting. their fans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's I mean, that's the whole point though. It's right. betting. It's, it's supposed to get people to bet. So um, yeah, if you think they're going to be good, then nine and three is not crazy because it's not really that great of a record you're still losing three games but um with the seven and a half bar here uh you've got iowa state which i think that's low uh oklahoma state which i think given their track record you could definitely say no i think that they win eight games next year um and then tcu you're expecting a bounce back as they did not even make a bowl game a year ago off of a national championship appearance um, but they seem to be another team where maybe the expectations aren't as loud outwardly and they are a little bit more just work behind the scenes and get back to the grind and, you know, all that jazz. And, and so they are hoping for a nice bounce back year there in Fort Worth because last year was an awfully disappointing follow-up to the point where I don't think by any means Sunny Dykes is nowhere on a seat that is anywhere considered warm, okay? Let's make that very clear. But – the two years he's had in four are so drastically different that you wonder, okay, like wh- what's the middle here? Is like, is it the middle where it's going to be? And then it kind of flip flops or does it lean 
one direction or the other. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That's going to be very interesting for them. So, seven and a half wins. I think I'd go over for Iowa State. And, again, I don't know the, the schedules. I'm not doing this with the schedules in front of me. But I, I think Iowa State's going to be really good. Um, so, I'd go over with them. Oklahoma State, I'd have to look at their schedule. But I'd probably default to over with them at this point. And then TCU, that's a that's a nice little sweet number there at seven and a half. I'd have to go and kind of dig into their schedule a little bit. Yeah, I think I would kind of just pass on all three just because I think this is the right tier for them. I think all three of them, just like the three teams above them, should all be at the 7.5 number. I, I do think that Iowa State is probably the one I would bet out of the three here, though. I do think that they're, I think eight and four feels pretty safe for them this upcoming year. That, that's just kind of where I'm at with it. But again, I, I think these these teams are at a much better level than three of the teams above them at eight and a half wins. I, I just think uh, it's pretty ridiculous that they're a, a whole win lower than those teams at this moment. Yep, so you have that there. And um, on to six and a half. Kind of surprising to see West Virginia was such a low number because they had a really good year last year. Now, granted, every year your team's different, especially in this era of college football. It's really... Nothing like it was. Your roster can flip over, you know, 90% from the year prior, practically. Uh, in some cases, like we've seen with a Dion at Colorado, a GJ Kinney at Texas State, etc. But six and a half for West Virginia seems like a pretty easy jump to make and, and say over with them. But that's the whole point of this exercise for Las Vegas is to say, here's this number and you're supposed to be smarter, and, oh, that's a stupid number for West Virginia. I'm going to go pour on the over, and then they turn around and they win six games, and you lose your bet, and that's the whole point here. So uh, six and a half for West Virginia, but that still just caught my eye because that seems low for a team that is expecting way more than six and a half wins next year. Yeah, and initially it felt low to me too, especially because they have five home games in the Big 12 and only four road games. So you feel like that definitely favors them. Their issue is actually they play none of the worst teams in the Big 12. They don't get to play Arizona State, uh, BYU, or Houston on their schedule, which that's tough. That means you're playing a lot of really good competition every single week. But again, five home games, that's a big advantage, um, even if you're missing the bottom half of the league. Then uh, there at five and a half, you've got Baylor, Cincinnati, and Colorado. Uh, Cincinnati, really tough year last year. Colorado, same. Baylor, same. So three teams who are all hoping to reverse their fortunes and for Baylor right now, I mean, I think that's the perfect number. Um, I, I don't know how you could really be too confident to go higher. I don't know how you could be so negative to go lower. And then again, yes, I can, because I can go read our boards right now, and I can see where somebody's making the case for why that's too high of a number, five and a half, I'm sure, some some post somewhere. Um, but that's a sweet spot number. And then Colorado, I mean, same thing. These are all teams that expect to be bowl eligible after not being bowl eligible, but whether or not they will be is – is a is a major question, and so that's why this is the perfect number, I think, for Baylor. I mean, I would hope it's over, but I don't have very much confidence uh, that I would go any higher than six, so uh, that uh, is, is fine. Cincinnati, I assume lower, and then Colorado, I mean, that's, that's a number that's perfect for them. They're at five and a half. Again, I'd have to look at their schedule some more and, and uh, dig a little deeper, but uh, that seems to be about right for those three. Yeah, I mean, I got Cincinnati under I think Cincinnati deserves to be in the four and a half group I I just don't have really faith in their coach at the moment I I just don't 
I, I don't see it. I don't see much momentum in that program at this moment, you know, so I would have them going under. Baylor and Colorado feel kind of like wild cards this year, to be honest with you. I, I think it could go, you know, a bunch of different directions. You know, what if Colorado gets really hot, starts scoring a lot of points, and somehow finds themselves at eight wins? Would I be completely stunned by that? Not really. Like, I wouldn't be that shocked if Baylor plays better defense and has an offense that's moving the ball more. Could they luck into eight wins? Sure, possible. Would I bet on that? Probably not, but I do think those two are, are big-time wild cards this upcoming season because the talent is there. You just got to wonder how big is the bounce back from you know pretty bad 2023 seasons. And then finally wrapping it up, again, these from FanDuel, uh, four-and-a-half win, Mark. You've got Arizona State. Uh, you've got uh, Kenny Dillingham there in year number two, but uh, just a lot of issues to sort through once he arrived with the administration and most of that behind them, but still just kind of dealing with the after effects and just trying to get this program on track. BYU, first year in the Big 12, was a nice start and then a very rocky finish. Uh, Kalani Sataki, big fan of his, uh, but they really need to, to bounce back. Got Gary Bohannon now at quarterback uh, there, so we'll be interesting to see him during the regular season against Baylor. Um, and then Houston there with first-year head coach Willie Fritz and um, – a lot of changes taking place down there in H-Town. I'd say for Arizona State, again, I'd have to look at their schedule. Same with BYU, really. But uh, Houston, I, I don't know. I'm tempted to go at least five wins for them. Uh, but again, I'd have to look more detailed here. But I just feel like they've got some juice now. And they've got a really good head coach that's come in there. And it doesn't take long to flip things. Not saying they're going to compete for a Big 12 title, but can they win five games? I don't think that's crazy talk to think that you can win five games. So that among that lower rung, if I were to make a bet, I think that's the one I would make would be Houston going over um, because I just don't know well enough with Arizona State or BYU right now to feel as confident there. But, um, yeah, that's uh, that's the bottom tier from – these uh, win totals for 2024. Yeah, Houston's schedule is just brutal. Okay, it well, is, there you yeah, go. Yeah, I know, it That's is. That's why I keep saying in right. every one of these, like, I don't it, know their schedule, but for here sure, you go. Yeah. For sure, it is just, I was looking at it the other day because I felt the same way because I like Willie Fritz. I like what they could be building, but my goodness, I mean, they got to play at Oklahoma in the non-conference. They also have to play UNLV, who was pretty dang good last year, and Rice, who beat them last year. And then you look at their schedule. They got five road games in the Big 12 and four home games. But the worst part for me is their home games are not easy. They have Iowa State, Utah, Kansas State, and Baylor. Those are their four home games. So we're not even going to talk about the road games. They're probably going to go two and two, maybe one and three during their home stretch in the Big 12. That just is not a recipe for success. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I would take the under on them. Arizona State and BYU are probably going to struggle as well. Again, I'd put Cincinnati in this group at the four and a half tier. I think those are the four clear worst teams in the Big 12 at this very moment. That's just kind of my take on it right now. But Houston's schedule was one that really stood out to me. I think it's the toughest schedule in the Big 12, very likely. So there you go, a little off-season fun. That's something that we can revisit uh, in the springtime once we get rolling and a little bit more information comes down as far as just getting to know these new teams and their new faces and their new coaches and all of that. But always fun to see the uh, win totals and kind of get a gauge on where Vegas thinks the teams sit and those totals out for all of college football. Um, but the Big 12, obviously a focus here. And so there's your first look, but uh, going to be a very interesting race and certainly some glaring omissions with no Oklahoma and Texas there, which is just going to take some getting used to um, just simply because we've been talking about them for 20 years. Uh, so it's just it's weird to not have them, but it's also kind of becoming 
normal. Um, but right there in that exercise, that's where it's kind of fun, though, is it's just not the automatic, like, default Oklahoma, default Texas. Like, you know, every year they're going to be listed at probably nine or ten wins, no matter what. Every year they're going to be listed, like, top two or three of the, as far as the odds go. And just to simply not have them there, I know there's going to be other areas. I'm not, I'm not delusional. Like, losing them is not going to make the Big 12 better. You know, you're not going to win more titles with them not here. You're not going to recruit better. You're not going to make more money. Nothing's going to be better, really, except for just maybe the uncertainty of the league as far as the chase that they, you don't automatically just place one or two or both teams right at the very top every single year. And so that's going to be a lot of fun, I, I think. It was free money for a while because you just took the over on Oklahoma and the under on Texas. Basically, and you were making yeah. money every single year, basically. And now you don't get that. Now you're having to sit there and go, okay, do we really think that Utah's just going to, you know, come into this league and they're just going to win 10 games and it's going to be, you know, fine and dandy and easy? It just is really hard to pick overs right now in this league when you have a high win total because there's so much parity, or at least we expect there to be so much parity. Yes, so there you go. There's the football win totals from FanDuel for 2024, and uh, that will put a bow on football talk for this episode. But National Signing Day has come and gone. Bears the couple of big splashes. You have Gabe Hall headed to the NFL Combine. So good luck to him with the uh, whole process. And there's some win totals as well. And spring football about a month away or so uh, from getting started up. So that'll be a lot of fun once that comes down the pipeline as well. Craig, do you want to hit on two just two quick notes, Gary Patterson and then Mac Rhodes? Do you want to just touch on those? Uh, yeah, I mean, the Gary Patterson thing, I, I didn't know if we were going to talk about that or not, but the reports out there from Colt Barber, our own Colt Barber last week, uh, part of the benefits of being a Sikkim 365 member is getting in the conversations like that story right there. Um, but the report being that he is joining – Baylor football staff as an analyst, a senior analyst type of role, uh, something that he, I guess, I guess he helped out a few teams last year, and then the year prior, obviously, was at Texas and uh, had some success with them and, and helping out with their defense. And then um, last year, I guess he was just kind of a, a for-hire type of a guy, I guess. Uh, if you needed some breakdowns, then I guess you gave him a call and he could help you out there. But uh, for the most part, it was kind of out of the limelight a year ago. And then uh, here comes this report that he is going to be joining the Baylor staff and certainly feels like hell freezing over. I know there's nothing official from the school, um, so it's been kind of quiet since that report was released. But, yeah, I mean, if that comes to fruition, which I'm not doubting, but it's just that, you know, you wait for official word. And I don't know if they'll even release official word on something like that. Um, But it is obviously incredibly interesting news. And I think if I can just get past my own personal biases – uh, that it's a very good move football-wise. I don't know how it's a bad move in any way, shape, or form other than just you want Gary Patterson to be a part of the Baylor program in any way. You shudder at the thought of him wearing a green and gold polo because it's just like, again, hell freezing over. Um, but from a football perspective, which is really all that Dave Aranda needs to be worrying about at the moment is winning football games, this could and should help you win football games. So I think it's a great move from that standpoint. I agree. Just football-wise, it makes total sense. Gary Patterson has a wealth of knowledge. We all know this. Whether we like him or not, it is a totally separate issue just because, you know, I had to watch him a lot and cheer against him basically every game that he ever coached, at least while I was at Baylor. And so... 
that's kind of the hard part, right? But I think from a football standpoint, it, it absolutely makes sense. He has a close relationship with Dave Aranda. It seems like someone Dave Aranda really looked up to um, in the coaching industry. And so, yeah, I mean, if he's going to come in and help scout uh, teams as they come up to, to face Baylor, I think that's a great advantage um, on the staff. And, you know, I've seen various people talk about, oh, you know, maybe he could be the guy if, Dave, if something happens with Dave Aranda. And I'm like, come on, y'all. That is not happening at all. That is not what's at play here. This is just getting a very smart coach on the roster to help or on the coaching staff to allow them to just get better and be more prepared each week. Yeah, I, I can see why some would make that jump, but I also am nowhere near ready to make that jump no. and, and assume that uh, I think it's to do what he's been doing the last couple of years, which is to make probably pretty good coin and have a pretty good schedule and to be able to do the fun things that he enjoys about football without all of the stuff that a lot of coaches don't enjoy as much, uh, whether it be hitting the road recruiting or uh, whatever else you, you want to throw into that mix. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, from an analyst standpoint and a, I guess close confidant to the head coach, I mean, we know that Aranda's battling, balancing all of these various things, and now this year on his plate is having to take on more of a role with the defense because of the way things worked out last year. So, I mean, who better to come in and help plug some of those holes and do some of the things that maybe you just don't simply have time to do or the want to do. Um, and Gary Patterson, uh, they don't get much better as far as football minds go, so I can see where that makes a lot of sense. So that's very interesting, obviously, um, but we'll get more details and then you know, at some point get to ask Aranda about that and then uh, follow up and, and talk about it some more. But, uh, yeah, super interesting report from our own Colt Barber last week, and I know a lot of people just not sure exactly how to feel about this, but, um, man, it's it's a business where – you don't burn bridges because eventually you stick around long enough, you're going to end up on a staff with somebody that you never thought possible in some cases, and certainly nobody ever thought they'd see Gary Patterson in green and gold, but it looks like that's what we could be in store for. Meanwhile, Mac Rhodes, um, I assume, are you talking about the playoff committee? Is yeah. That, okay, yeah, he was named to the college football playoff committee uh, last week and uh, will be one of the members uh, to help select the teams for the expanded playoff beginning next year, one of the uh, newest uh, invites to be a part of that whole process. It's a three-year term. Um, and so year number one will be this 12-team playoff. First time ever, Jim Grobe, former Baylor interim head football coach, is on that committee as well and has been, I think, for the last couple of years. So this will be his last year, uh, I believe. He, I know he was on there last year, but I think it's his third year. So that'll be his last go, but he'll get a little brief reunion with Mac Rhodes there. Uh, so just shout-out to old Groby. Uh, but, yeah, for Mac, I think it's a cool opportunity and – it's more food uh, on your plate to uh, to digest on a, on a plate that's pretty full right now for athletic directors, but this is one of those that you're willingly wanting to take on more work because it's a cool opportunity to be a part of the selection committee. And so, yeah, I think that's great for Mac and uh, also great for Baylor to have somebody that will be in the room and, and, and the Big 12 to have somebody representing them that you know has their best interest in mind. So a uh, cool honor for him. Yeah, and I mean, it's going to be an exciting time with this new 12-team playoff. Hopefully there won't be as many you know conversations and arguments about the last team since it's 12. We know there will be, but oh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it gets a little bit better um, and at least more teams are going to have a shot at, at winning a championship. So I'm excited. It should be fun to see know kind of how Mac handles that process and also kind of I'm sure he might be able to give some insight into the process as well which is something that we'll actually get to hear more about I think that's really cool have a little more inside um, news on that process 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, whenever he joins us, I think he's actually going to join us this week, but it's going to not be every week. But, um, yeah, when he does join us, we'll be able to kind of pick his brain on just how all of that works, and that should be uh, interesting stuff to talk about. Uh, but meanwhile, you've got Ross Dellinger with a mega article today on – they're talking about expanding the basketball tournament, which is nothing oh. new, but already talking about, I mean, that seems like it's a done deal almost already is, is that, but also diving into just kind of the politics going on behind the scenes and Brett Yormark and the big 12 and the ACC stuff and um, just never ending behind the scenes talk, but about the future of college football, but an expanded basketball tournament looks like it could be on the way. And uh, also, this little 12-team playoff is only set for a couple of years, guys. I don't know if you realize that, but it's only a two-year deal. And so there's already the talk about 16, which, you know, that, that starts to get to the point where I start to go, all right, now you're losing me because now it is getting watered down. But I know some people already feel that way about 12. I totally disagree. I think it – I just think it needs to be more than four. I think four is just too little. It's just not enough to – especially if you've got some conferences that every year you can argue they have, they have the two best, like yeah. the SEC – then how do we only have four teams? Right. It just doesn't make any sense. It was never a good number, and that needs to change. But then you start to get to 16, and now I'm just like, okay, I I, I don't know if I love that anymore. I, I think 12 will be fun. I'm going to enjoy that while we have it. But, uh, yeah, uh, Macro's a part of a lot of different conversations going on, and the Big 12 as well. And, um, yeah, that expanded tournament is, is a possibility in both football and basketball. It seems almost inevitable. Yeah, I don't see the need for that in the NCAA tournament for basketball. I mean, it's already money. I know, but it's already the greatest sporting event to me. Just so much fun to watch. Why do, why do you need to make it so much bigger? 128 teams, like you're going to have teams that are terrible in that tournament. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. And I like the way it's set up now because it's literally just you're either a conference champion or you've done enough during the regular season to get in. You move it to 128 or whatever. You're just you're taking teams that finish 6-12 and 12 in the Big 12. Yeah, I haven't been able to peruse through the entire thing. I don't think it'd be doubling the field. I think, if anything, you'd probably have like more of the play-in type of games or something along those lines. But, again, I haven't read all the details. And it's not like it's happening now. It's just... Yeah. That's that that's been conversation for a few years now is expanding the basketball tournaments. That's not, nothing new really. It just seems like with all of the changes going on, things like that could happen quicker than than just speculation and and same thing for the football playoff because again, they're only set up for the next 2 years and you can add four more teams and make it 16 and then I will say the one thing about that and we need to move on is I don't know that I love the first round buys the more that I've thought about it. Give them a home game Sure, but having a less game when you're already Georgia yeah. or Alabama or these teams, I think that's like a double advantage that you're also playing one less game. I don't know. I, I think that everybody should probably play a first-round game, but I get how it works in other formats, so we'll see. There's a lot of lot to work out there, but let's move on. Uh, we'll have plenty of time to talk about the playoff and all that stuff throughout the offseason basketball. Uh, Baylor men. Uh, back in the win column a couple weeks ago, last time uh, I was with you guys, they were they were in a little bit of trouble. They were sliding a bit and uh, have been able to win three out of their last four but dropped a heartbreaker in Lawrence, Kansas on Saturday, a very winnable game, and uh, could not finish at, at the end. 64-61, the number four Jayhawks who turn around and get absolutely decimated by Texas Tech last night. I mean, blown out of the, the gym in Lubbock. By what was the final like twenty something? They lost points? by twenty. Yeah, yeah, I mean, got destroyed. 
Um, but they beat Baylor on Saturday, 64-61. Um, and so the men, after three straight wins in Big 12 play, including beating Tech right before they played Kansas State, beating Iowa State, uh, they are now 17-6 and after the loss to Kansas and 6-4 and in Big 12 play now. And that puts them uh, right there in uh, the fourth spot. Uh, you've got Houston at 8-3 and right now. Iowa State at 7-3. and Texas Tech at seven and four, and then you've got Baylor now at six and four, right there in, in that four spot, as I mentioned. So, uh, seventeen and six, the loss to KU. How are you feeling about where they sit right now? Yeah, I mean they did what they needed to do during that four game stretch. They they lost that game to TCU, but winning the three in a row after that gave you that three that three and one kind of stretch that I I believe they needed going into that Kansas game because I expected them to lose that Kansas game. I mean it's really hard to win an Allen Fieldhouse. I understand all that. The bummer of this is they did not get blown out. They did not get, you know, just a, an epic Kansas performance after a Kansas loss to Kansas State. They didn't get a Kansas team that was out there just, you know, playing their best game. Instead, it was just Baylor playing terrible is the reason they lost this game by three points. They had 21 turnovers, I think. I mean, just a really tough performance when you go back and watch and you go, man, this was a complete blown opportunity. I mean, that's all it was. A chance to really put yourself in the conversation for winning the Big 12. You still have a home game against Houston on the schedule, and you don't have to go to Houston. Uh, You also don't have to go to Iowa State either, and you have that kind of just opportunity to be in a position where you're in second place going into this second half of the Big 12 slate, and they just couldn't get it done. It was a big bummer. They wasted an epic performance by Eves Misi, who was just terrific and has been terrific. Uh, he's unquestionably their best player right now, um, and he played awesome against Kansas in this one. But ultimately, the more composed team won that game. I mean, that's just what it is. Baylor was doing a lot of Dribbling one-on-one, dribbling it off your foot, making terrible passes, and again, just turning it over too much. When Jacoby Walter and Ray J. Dennis combined for 11 turnovers, um, that's a huge problem. And then when you have Josh O coming off the bench and only playing eight minutes and piling up this stat line, zero points, zero rebounds, zero blocks, four turnovers in eight minutes, that's just not getting it done. So is that a Josh O or Josh Zero? Josh, yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I just can't just, let that sit there and, and hang like that. Um, hope it was he doesn't just listen. Awful. Yeah, but um, yeah, I can't can't let that one just sit there like that. I gotta swing, but <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, that was tough. And man, really let one get away from you. That would have been what a win that would have been for you. Uh, so instead, the three game win streak gets snapped, and now tonight uh, on a Tuesday, it is number twenty five Oklahoma. And it will be a home game for Scott Drew and the Bears. They've got eight games left in the regular season. Eight games left, four at home, four on the road. And it will be a you know home and away every single week. But this week starts off with the home game in Oklahoma. And then Saturday they will head to West Virginia. Um, only have, I mean, counting tonight, three of the eight games against ranked teams. So you've got Oklahoma sitting there just right there at the the, the end line at 25. Uh, then number 19, BYU. I say three or four. It's four ranked teams remaining in their last eight games. You got 25, Oklahoma, 19, BYU, number three, Houston, and then number six, Kansas, the second go-around with them. Um, and the Houston and Kansas games, those top 
five-ish types of matchups will both be uh, at the uh, the new venue here in Waco um, as the Foster Pavilion keeps on rolling along. So those ought to be raucous environments for that, but uh, hopefully one tonight for Oklahoma because uh, this would be uh, a game that you definitely want to win, need to win, and expect to win. So uh, we'll see how they do against the Sooners and then the Mountaineers on Saturday. Yeah, and I, I made a statement last week that I felt like 12-6 and six would win you a share of the Big 12 championship. And the more that I look at this, the more that things have progressed, I I, I just have this feeling that Houston's probably going to get to 13-5, and five, which means Baylor can only lose one more game to get a share of the Big 12. Um, we'll see. I don't think that's realistic. I do think it's possible that they go 12-6, and six, but they're going to have to play great basketball down the stretch and take care of business at home and against teams that they're better than. So winning tonight against Oklahoma – Bouncing right back, beating West Virginia are two, you know, those are very much needed if they want any shot at winning the Big 12 championship. They also do get to play Houston uh, in Waco, so you get an opportunity to make up a game there. Um, but still, they're, they're trailing that top team right now and have a ways to go to, to get back in that race. Meanwhile, for the women, it's been uh, topsy-turvy. It's been up and down, up and down, up and down for the last couple of weeks here as their win-loss, win-loss, win-loss pattern continued on last week uh, after... Having beat Houston on Sunday, they turned around last week and get uh, beat up by BYU um, in Provo. So started off the week with a loss last Wednesday and then turned right around and beat West Virginia. Top 25 win, number 22 Mountaineers. Uh, take them down 65-58 to 58, uh, behind a nice performance from Dariana Littlepage Bugs. And so win-loss, win-loss, win-loss has kind of been the the status quo for about a month now and uh, that has them sitting at 18 and 5 and 5th right now in the Big 12 conference so uh, looking at the standings you got Oklahoma at 11 and 1 having a really nice year they won 8 games in a row Kansas State who was at one point leading the conference now uh, a game behind at 10 and 2 uh, Texas and West Virginia are both 9 and 3 and then you have Iowa State and Baylor at 7 and 5 apiece so right there in the uh, Still the upper half, but really closer to the middle than anything else. Um, now at 7-5, and five, certainly it would be almost impossible to win the Big 12 at this point because you're asking for multiple teams to have to crater and, and lose multiple games, and you basically have to win out um, for, for all intents and purposes. Um, so we know that's not going to be how it works out, but... Uh, yeah, it's just been kind of up, down, up, down, up, down. Don't know which version you're going to get uh, or how they're going to play. And uh, certainly that was a disappointing uh, loss to BYU, but to turn around and bounce back nicely against the Mountaineers. So uh, here they sit, and uh, we'll see how they, they close it out. But coming up, it'll be number 23, Oklahoma, on Wednesday uh, on the road, and then Texas Tech at home on Sunday uh, for Nikki Collin and company. Yeah, and Oklahoma's currently 11-1 and one in the Big 12, so that's going to be a, a huge test um, for Baylor. And honestly, I mean, it's pretty simple for Baylor right now. When they don't rebound, they lose. Basically every single time they, that happens. I mean, BYU is 4-8 and eight in the Big 12 and 14-11 on the season, and they out-rebounded Baylor by, I think it was 14 rebounds. They just destroyed them on the glass, and... This is a problem for Baylor. I mean, losing to teams that are, you know, 500 or, or worse, I mean, that does not bode well when you get to the NCAA tournament. And say Baylor's a five seed and they're playing a 12 seed and that team can rebound, I I don't know that I'd be picking them to even get past the first round. It's just been so up and down with them and you just never know what to expect. And it's crazy because then they show up and beat 
a 20-3 and three West Virginia team, um, and you start feeling good again, and then they just go out and, and lose to an Oklahoma State or lose to a BYU. It, it just has been a, a very weird season for them. Now, I, I realize they can beat almost any team in the country if they have a great night, but then on the flip side, they can lose to almost anybody. It, it's been a really weird year. Yes, it has. So uh, we'll see how this week plays out for both squads, but uh, definitely – uh, an interesting stretch run coming down here. The last eight games of conference play for both and uh, starting to approach the month of March. Uh, so money time coming up here, and uh, we'll see uh, what goes on this week uh, with a pair of games for each of the Hoops teams. Uh, so that'll about do it as far as news goes. You ready to get in the mailbag here? Let's do it. Uh, let's go ahead and start off with uh, Scotty B. The Baylor King has the world frozen over. I mean, Gary Patterson at Baylor, while a few former Baylor staff members now at TCU at the same time. Also, Gary Patterson now follows me on Twitter and even direct messaged me asking what's up. So, wow, okay. I said, doing good and spending time with family and welcome to Baylor. He said, thanks and looking forward to helping wherever Aranda needs me. So, wow, that's uh, very interesting stuff there, Scotty B. You can't say the same. Uh, last I looked, I was still blocked, and it's been a decade. So um, I'm blocked as well. Yeah, well, I yeah. found a way to block him back about six years ago. So um, <laughs> it's been mutual for quite a while now. I don't know if it actually works on his end. Obviously, I can't ask him, but yeah. it appears that I blocked him back. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, like I said, literally like, I mean, longer than six years ago, actually, that I would have done that because he blocked me like a decade ago uh, during the height of all of that uh, back and forth with he and – uh, Baylor and just the heat of that rivalry. So, uh, yeah, congrats, Scotty B, on the the interaction. Um, but your thoughts uh, on Gary Patterson? Anything else to add from a little while ago? I mean, it's a weird world we live in, right? Where Gary Patterson's at Baylor, you got Kaz at TCU, you got Bryles at TCU. I mean, it is it is very all topsy turvy. So it is a weird situation, and definitely weird for me. Who you know, when I went to school, it was you know. Art Browse versus Gary Patterson during those years. So it, it is uh, it is very weird, I, I got to say. And I think Baylor Twitter reacted the same way uh, I would have and just like anyone else would have who followed that really closely. Doc Crow, well, I haven't been DMing Patterson, but I was wondering just how much impact you guys see these off-field hires making and which other than the towel girl. Yeah, do you have to hire a towel girl now? I don't know how that all that works. I don't think so because he's not like uh, in – in head coach game mode like he was back in the day. Uh, but other than uh, the towel curl, who do you think will end up being most valuable to the team moving forward? And I know they also announced some other staff hires uh, earlier this week, and I just don't typically get all the way down to the nuts and bolts like that because that stuff changes over every year so often. Um, but they did announce some new staff hires, uh, some uh, some filling out of some positions uh, but who of the, the changes that you've seen this offseason so far do you think uh, is the most valuable or will be? Well, I, I think that the one that we're going to see, I think, the most, um, I guess, notable production, like actually have substance next to their name, is going to be Mark Scott, who's coming in to coach special teams for Baylor after doing that for Houston during 2020 through 2023. So I think he's going to be the one that you're probably going to notice the most just because he's going to have a I mean, he's going to be basically handling a position. And so it's going to be very important that he gets that group all together uh, from punting to kicking to return game. Um, I think we'd all like to see improvement there. And so we'll see if he's able to do that. So he'd be the one that I would kind of point to. 
Um, I, and I don't know if that was even asking about the, the new six out of the staff, but just in general, I think he was asking. I mean, I'd say Jake oh. Spavital would be the oh, guy that you general? look at. I okay. mean, I think, I think that's kind of what was being asked there, as opposed to the, the six peripheral well, guys. Well, because he said off-field, so I felt. Okay, well, yeah, off-field like your offensive coordinator. Or okay, your, okay. Uh, well, I mean, it, either way, you answered it one part, but I'm saying yeah. from the other perspective, I'd say Jake Spavitol yeah. is the, the guy who is going to be the most valuable to the team moving forward because he's going to be the one that really dictates, I think, a lot of their success or lack thereof. I mean, depending on what this offense does, it, even if the defense is great, you got to be able to score points, man. And um, it's been a little bit of a struggle now for a couple of years, or about a year and a half. You go back to two seasons ago, midway point, and it's been all downhill basically since then for about a season and a half. Um, but, yeah, on the, the six additions uh, that were put out there a couple of days ago, four quality control coaches and a, a pair of GAs. Uh, you mentioned, uh, what was it, uh, Mark Scott, is that mm-hmm. he mentioned as, as yeah. far as taking on the special teams duties. I could, I could see where that's going to be uh, very important for sure. So uh, thank you for that part of it, Doc. Follow up, what players this season do you see as being in a prove-it mode where they need to show something or possibly start looking elsewhere? I mean, yeah, you would think that guys who are older, really, it's time to either show something or, or it's probably not going to work out. You know, when you look at guys like Ryan Lingyell, I mean, he's a he's a redshirt junior now, um, so he's probably got to make that you know situation work. Tyron Brown, a linebacker, he's not playing over some of the younger guys, so he probably needs to show something. I, I think um, Jordan Jenkins, you know, is he ever going to get on the field or is he just passed up by all these younger guys who are now on the roster? Um, you know, Cameron Bonner, is he going to get a role? Javon Gibson, is that going to happen now that they're playing more wide receivers? I, I think those are the guys to to really look at. I think you could move down to the sophomore level and look at guys, you know, maybe it's about time we need to see more from them or at least see them get on the field as far as if you're looking at, you know, a Kyan Roberts day. You know, it might be time for him. You know, can he get on the field? Armani Winfield, is he consistently going to have a role on this team now? Um, well, those right, guys you yeah, mentioned, like, I mean, especially those last two, it's been a couple years. So, yeah, I mean, it's about time to put up or shut up as far as the amount of time we spent talking about some of those guys. And I don't mean this, you know, disrespectfully or anything, but, I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about how big of a deal Armani Winfield was and, and how big of a deal Kyan Roberts' day was. And I'm not trying to single them out. There's others that you mentioned there. But, yeah, it's kind of at this point of, like, all right, like, come on now. Like, I mean, especially when you desperately need help at wide receiver – well, dude, it's year three in the program, so yeah, let's let's go. I mean, if it's not going to be year three, that you can't really afford to wait, especially when you're sitting here talking about how they didn't get receivers in this class and they need receivers. Well, they got receivers; they're on the roster. They just need them to to step up and make impacts more so than they have at this point. And then Kyan Roberts Day, you know, it's just it's been a matter of finding the right spot for him. Is he finally in the right spot? Can he use all that size and athleticism that was so attractive? I mean, and there, and we could go on up and down the roster, but uh, those two jump out because they were so heavily talked about. Yeah, they were, and and at positions where they do need more guys to step up, right? Maybe not start, but they need more guys to step up and provide depth, um, especially on the defensive line. That, that's an area they they really need Kyan Roberts Day to make that leap. They need Jackie Marshall to be healthy because you know, in fairness, we've seen flashes from Jackie, but now he's going to have to prove it again, right? I mean, he was thought to be potentially, you know, a a the best defense lineman for Baylor last year, he gets hurt. Is he going to get back to where he was? 
We'll see. I think that is a question as well. So there's a lot of guys that are in prove-it mode. I mean, you could look at the secondary like a Reggie Bush the second. You know, is it his time to finally get on the field and provide a spark? Maybe he moves to safety. That could be intriguing. Um, so, yeah, a, a lot to look at, I think, for that group. But I think the junior group and the redshirt junior group is the group that you really, I mean, you need to see something or else it, it's, I mean, you're expecting the very last year for things to just work out all of a sudden. I, I just don't know if that's really feasible. Yep, so uh, there's a few options for you, and appreciate it, uh, Doc, for the questions. Overrated, says, outside of Baylor, which football programs in the New Look Big 12 have had the best and worst offseason to this point? I'd say uh, Arizona's had a pretty mm-hmm. topsy-turvy offseason. I mean, losing your head coach and then losing – and the guy who made you interesting again for the first time in a while and then losing a bunch of the players. I mean, you had your star quarterback and your star wide receiver elect to return – so we'll see how that works, but that one uh, definitely takes them down a peg just on the eye test alone, losing Jed Fish and then some of the players that he took with him to uh, Washington. And then uh, beyond that, I feel like, I don't know, that, that one just jumps out as being the obvious choice for the worst offseason. I don't know if it's actually the worst, but that one's been, the as of late, the, the one that hasn't been the most fun for Arizona fans for certain. Yeah, um, they've had the worst, yeah. I would say, as well, just because, you know, you lose a coach that was providing so much momentum for your program. It, it felt like Arizona was going to go into the Big 12 ready to rock and roll. And, I mean, eight and a half wins is your, you know, win total, your first year in the Big 12. That, that's a very high number. And it felt realistic if Jed Fish was there. It felt like he was going to come in and make them a, a top-four team in the Big 12 immediately. But losing him, I do think, takes some of the shine off of that. And I do think it hurts the roster. And I do think there's, like you mentioned and like I mentioned, I look at the 8.5 number and I'm like, I'm not taking the over on that. I'm taking the under on that because I do think their offseason was, um, you know, brought down a little bit. Now, as far as best offseason, I do think that Utah getting Cam Rising back was huge for them. Uh, I think in general, it just adds stability at that position for that program and a program that comes in with very high expectations and for good reason because they probably have one of if not the best quarterback in the big 12 coming back which is huge yeah i'd say uh also good offseason houston uh hiring willie fritz i think is massive i don't think everybody understands or maybe they do how just disliked dana holgerson was by the end there in houston and so just had a a very contentious feeling surrounding the entire program of like, is he going to be here? Does he want to be here? Do we want him here? Um, he's annoying. Now we're not winning. I mean, it, you know, it's just, it, there was a lot of, I think, bad taste in the mouths of Houston fans just towards the end with Holgerson and vice versa to some extent. And so now you've got a guy in Willie Fritz who's clearly happy to be back in Texas and clearly energized and has had a great run at Tulane and now is in the Big 12 and has, you know, Fertitta backing him and the state of Texas to recruit and and all of those things. So I, I just I feel like Willie Fritz is going to inject a lot of good uh, mojo for Houston. So that, that'd be a team that jumps out as having a good offseason so far. And then everybody else, without thinking about it too much longer, I think has had just you know, what you'd expect, like your typical, like we feel like we're getting better through recruiting and coaching hires and everything looks good. Nobody that just jumps out is like extreme one way or the other, but Houston definitely sticks out as an extreme swing to the, to the good side of things and Arizona a swing to the, not necessarily bad, but just very uncertain compared to 
how they were going to roll in otherwise. Yeah, and I think you brought up a good point about Holgerson not being very well-liked and that being a problem for Houston. I actually think the same about Cincinnati, which is why I'm so low on them. That fan base does not like Scott Satterfield at all, and I get the reasons for that, and so that's why I would also say they probably fit in that bad off-season category because the mojo is just, it's not there. The vibes are not there. Yep, so uh, appreciate the question, and we'll talk more Big 12 as a whole just as we move along here. So if you have questions in that regard, feel free to pass those along. But going to be a very interesting conference to break down and uh, to figure out. Barely knows, is there a place to find Baylor men's basketball player efficiency ratings? And if so, what is the rating of each team member? I don't know of a place without... um, a subscription required. I got one. Okay, go for it. Then. Yeah, I got one, but I'm going to do, I think it's more evidence if we just do conference play. Um, in my eyes, instead of the full season, I think it tells more of the story of where we're at currently. So quickly, here we go. Eves Misi, who I said is the best player on this Baylor team right now. He's got a 26.6 player efficiency rating right now. Um, by far the most on this team, because then you get down to Jalen Bridges, 19.2. Langston Love, 19.1. Ray J. Dennis, 17.0. Jacoby Walter, 16.9. Jaden Nunn, 14.1. Caleb Lohner, 14.1. Joshua, 13.9. Miro Little, 1.4. And Everyday John, negative 23.9. Yeah, not a great number there, obviously. He's only played, in fairness, he's played 12 minutes. So just to weed that out. But it's very clear who the best player on this team is currently playing the best in conference play. And then the guys who are struggling, I think it's important to mention that Jacoby Walter at 16.9 in conference play, he was at 19.6 for the season. So that tells you how much better he was in non-conference than he has been uh, in conference play. So there you go. Hopefully that answers your question. Uh, Barely knows. Appreciate the, uh, the mailbag participation. Billy21, Welch had a thumbs up. We'll get back to his question there. Uh, Bearcats to 6-2 and the rest of the way for men's basketball win the league, which would mean uh, that uh, 6-2 and would put them at, uh, what, 12-6 and overall. And right now you've got Houston at 8-3, and uh, Iowa State 7-3, and Tech 7-4, and Baylor 6-4. and So would that be able to put them over the top there? So I mentioned this a little bit earlier. I thought 12-6 and would get you a share, but as I look more at Houston's schedule, I, I don't see them losing three more times. I mean, you tell me if I'm wrong. Texas, Iowa State, at Baylor, Cincinnati, at Oklahoma, at UCF, Kansas. Do you see two or three losses? I mean, maybe a couple, but it's really stretching it, yeah. Right, to get to three, and that three would get them to 12 and six. I just, I I think they're going to finish 13 and five, so I think Baylor's probably going to have to match that. If I had to guess, now, is it impossible? No. Maybe Houston just stumbles on the road a couple times. Very possible. Um, But as I look more and more at it, I, I think that Houston getting that win over Cincinnati narrowly this past week probably solidified them getting to 13 and five. Yeah, I could see them. Uh, man, they'd have to drop games at home, which is yeah. just what you're you're not gonna really bank too much on. I don't worry about them going like to Oklahoma or to UCF. Um, really, I mean Baylor on the road, you could see being a loss. Kansas at home at the very end of the year, yeah, sure, you could see that being a loss, but that's still only two games, and that's a revenge game because Kansas yeah. beat them bad. Yeah, yeah, and that's still only two. So where's another one coming from? And so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really. I don't see that either. Uh, probably, you know, as a as a strong possibility in the cards. So, uh, yeah, 
six and two rest of the way win the league. It'd be close, but probably not. But hey, go do it and let's see what happens and yeah. see how close they can get. Appreciate the question, Bearcats and Billy Twenty One will close us out here. What is happening in the weight room? In the past, you have posted outstanding performers on at least a daily or weekly basis. Uh, the weight room is really meaning to the coaches and to the respective players themselves. But for us fans, it tells us somewhat of each player's progress and how each athlete is meshing into the Bear program. Any consistent updates are appreciated. Uh, Sikkim Bears, 365ers, always the best you can be. Always be the best you can be. So, uh, Billy, appreciate the uh, the question or comment there. And uh, the weight room, kind of what's going on there. I mean, they put out – I mean, I've never followed it and reported on it closely because I'm not – there um in the weight room nor are any of us but the strength and conditioning staff has a twitter page that they update pretty regularly and i don't know ever since elon took over there's stuff that i just don't see anymore and i'll see it i'm like i follow this account how do i never see anything from this account and that's one of them and you'd think that with all my baylor back and forth that'd be like front thing like here's your recommended here's that i have to go search for that account for some weird reason so sometimes I miss them posting, but they do post pretty regularly. Um, last I looked, and that's a, a way to to get a little bit of insight. But anything else you'd like to add on the weight room uh, outside of that? Because that's where the the top performers can be easily seen is that Baylor strength and conditioning account. Right. That That's the best place to follow. I mean, if you want some quick notes that I've had, I mean, guys like uh, Trevin Maia, uh, Kyan Roberts Day, Jackie Marshall, Jordan Neighbors, um, Dom Richardson. Um, I mean, really, a lot of the top guys have been on the list multiple times. Like, the guys that you would expect have been on it quite a bit. Um, those are some of the names that have really stuck out to me. I think Alvin Ebicelli has been on a couple times as well. Um but, yeah, I, I think in general that's kind of where things are at. I know you, you want to say that it tells a huge story. I don't necessarily think it tells a massive story unless you're on the list a ton. Um, so, like, a Jackie Marshall, for instance, has been on it numerous times. That's a great – I mean, that's a great sign for, hey, he must be healthy. Hey, he's getting back to full strength. That's great news because he's expected to be really good next year. And then you look at a guy like Jordan Neighbors who moves back to wide receiver this year – and there's been high expectations for him ever since he entered the program. Now he gets a new offense and gets an opportunity to show what he can do. And we get the kind of sure thing that he is moving back to wide receiver. So I think that's great as well. And that's kind of telling. But outside of that, I think it's I think it's somewhat telling. But I don't think it tells a full picture of kind of what's going on. So there you go. Hopefully that helps out. And uh, you can follow that account and get your dose of uh, almost daily, I guess, updates. Or at least weekly updates as far as the off-season workouts go and uh that'll about wrap us up here with the mailbag thanks to everybody for putting their questions in there and being a part of the show today grayson anything before we head on out the door no nothing really just be sure to check out the uh, premium side of things uh we're into a little bit of a, a dead period but of course for basketball 2025 recruiting um you know other sports, tennis just got a big win over number five USC this week. Uh, be sure to check out Sikkim 365 Premium side. We got all kinds of insight and information on there. Yes, uh, so it's slowing down a little bit because of the wrapping up of the signing day class, but spring football uh, also right down the pipeline. That'll be here before you know it, and a lot of hoops. A lot of hoops going on right now with both uh, the men's and women's teams right in the, the thick of things uh, for the tournament and the Big 12 race. A little bit more eh, 
but uh, very much in the upper half and, and not the, you know, dragging the bottom. So we'll see how strong each team can close and how interesting they can make it and uh, where they can find themselves seated in the conference tournaments, but still uh, a few weeks to play out there, although we are getting down to the uh, the final month of the regular season. So things are heating up for sure. Uh, appreciate everybody again that uh, chimed in on the mailbag and just those of you who have watched us live Tuesdays at 11.15 on the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim 365 YouTube page. If you haven't already, please hit that thumbs up button and that subscribe button. We would certainly appreciate that. And uh, that'll do it for us this week. Thanks to Garrett Ross behind the scenes and to Grayson Grunhafer. And uh, I'm Craig Smoke. Appreciate your time. And we will talk to you next week. This has been the Bearcast on Sikkim365.com.